So welcome back. Our, our first question, what are your thoughts on what is happening in China and the lockdowns? Do you, do you, eventually, do you think eventually they will lock uh, down the U.S. Uh, as in Shanghai? So China is a great object lesson. It's, it, the, the, the government, now we're talking government organization. We're not talking about individual people living in China. The government of China is godless. They do not recognize the Bible God. They do not have any desire to practice Bible principles. It's all about authority, power, control over others. And, and this is why you're seeing the lockdowns there. And so will it happen in America? Of course it's going to happen. The Bible is very clear on this. There's going to be a global rebellion, uh, a worldwide beastly system at the end of time, where the entire world wonders after the beast except the righteous. And so at some point, the United States is part of that process. And you can see it happening. There are forces right now. There are forces right now in America. If it weren't for, for godly forces holding them in check, we would already be like China. Uh, did you not see that uh, Elon Musk who is a uh, libertarian, he's not a Republican or a Democrat, um, purchased Twitter, $44 billion. I, I had that in my wallet last week. Um, $44 billion. Uh, and he purchased it because he observed that there was, uh, and he finally woke up, I guess, but he, he observed that there's censorship going on. Did you realize there was censorship going on in our country? And, and he is a free speech advocate. And, and the truth of God's kingdom, so that's a principle of God's kingdom, by the way. Uh, remember when they came to arrest Jesus? He said, why are you arresting me at night? I didn't do anything in secret. I did everything in the open. Okay, When you have the truth, you are open. You are not secretive and you don't censor. You want more speech, more investigation. And this is a true scientific method. A true scientist will put out their hypotheses, put out their data, but then they want it examined. They want it checked. They want it verified uh, by reality. And, and they want to expunge any, any false conclusions or, or, or misconceptions, and they want to move towards a better understanding of reality. That, that is what healthy people do. But if you have a system based on fraud, on lies, you do not want openness. You want to control the narrative because truth will destroy your position. And so... Elon Musk buys this, and what do you see? You see hysteria coming from the liars in our, uh, that have been controlling the narrative for at least six years now. And they've been lying to us for at least six years, and now there's a platform that is a global, worldwide platform that they are not going to be able to control anymore. He's going to control it, and he's going to change the rules and allow real freedom of speech there. And they understand that the rest of their house of cards, if we have one platform that gives true light, all the darkness is going to collapse. And so what do we have to do to stop that? Oh, well, the White House announced we're going to have an a information sensor that they've just started that's going to start policing what's being produced and what's being put out on the various platforms in our society so we can protect people from misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, it is Orwellian. Under the, Department it's or, of under the Department of Homeland Security, we have to protect you from the assault of the, of the, of the free speechers. <laughs> it's quite corrupt. And these are the liars, and these are the controllers, and you can look at the methods. God does not look this way. God could have censored Lucifer in heaven. He could have done a little thing and like, oh, why is Lucifer not talking anymore? I think he's had a stroke in his, cor in his temporal cortex. And he's having trouble producing speech these days. But hey, I love him anyway. He's a good guy. You know, God could have censored Lucifer right from the beginning. He's never censored. And so just watch the method. So I think, yes, it's going to happen. All right. It, it, it is possible. Is it possible to put the king of the north 
my King of the North document, my blogs, he's asking if it's possible to put into a track. They've been trying to share these ideas with, with coworkers and others, but they're having a hard time articulating it. They're asking for a track. Um, Susan, if you're watching, and I believe you are, uh, let's, let's look at that. I have two blogs in the King of the North. Let's see if we can't integrate that into some type of a sharing uh, material. So. It says, in the book, Seventh-day Adventists Believe, uh, Biblical Exposition of the 27 Fundamental Doctrines. So this is the one that I have in my library. They actually have a 28 one now, but, but this is the one before that. This is on page 111, the first paragraph, it quote, and they're, they're quoting now, Christ's death at uh, a necessity. For a loving God to maintain his justice and righteousness, the atoning death of Jesus became a moral and legal necessity. God's justice required that sin be carried to judgment. God must therefore execute judgment on sin and thus the sinner, unquote. Uh, before I finish their question, understand that this view, if God has to execute judgment on sin and the sinner, and Jesus took the sinner's place, then who is executing Jesus? And that's what they teach. The penal view teaches God killed Jesus on the cross. Okay? So if if they say execute judgment, what is the judgment for sin? Death. Okay. And so execute the judgment and then the penalty. So you can't execute the judgment without carrying out the penalty. So they they still have it. Either way you go, it's, it's uh, it's, it's God doing it. Uh, so the question, doesn't this statement put the SDA church squarely into Babylon? Um, is, uh, I think then, let's see if we finish this. Yeah, squarely into Babylon. Well, um, no, because this statement in the 27 Fundamental Beliefs, while it's published by the church, it is actually the opinion of the theologian who wrote it. If you look at the 27 Fundamental Beliefs um, book, uh, in the beginning of each chapter, there's one paragraph that's in bold. That bold paragraph is the only, in the book, official position of the church. The rest that you read in the book are theologians trying to explain the, and that's their uninspired human interpretation of this, of the paragraph. Yes. And I personally know the copy editor told me that they were not given the time to fact check. Okay. So they, so she says that the copy editor that copy edited that book was not given time to, to do a fact check on that book. So at the bottom line, though, so no, that book will tell you what this particular theologian, you can see, if, if you look in the book, it'll be a reference, you can look at the back of the chapter, it'll tell you which theologian wrote that section, and you'll say, no, that's what that theologian believes, or at least at the time he wrote it, believed. He maybe he's changed his beliefs. Paul had certain beliefs, and he changed them later. <laughs> okay? How long, how would rescuing Ukraine citizens be different from Abraham rescuing Lot? Well, if you have a family member who has been taken captive, and you have the ability to go bring your family member out, that would be no different. But Abraham did not seek to overthrow the local kings and political rulers that took Lot. He didn't seek to establish a new government. He didn't seek to drive them out. He only sought to bring his loved one out of their control. So if you want to go in and, and bring out an individual that you love, that would be very much like Abraham. But if you have, as an argument, using this argument to say, now we need to uh, activate all of our government and our military, and we need to go and we need to overthrow the Russians and take over and push them out, that is not what Abraham did. So if you want to apply it, apply it for what the object lesson is, rescuing individuals, but not overthrowing earthly governments. I understand that Jesus died to show us how much the Godhead loved us, but how did that destroy the in- inherited genetic tendency? So the way you stated that would be classic um, moral influence theory, and that's not what we teach here, uh, that Jesus died to show God's love. Well, that is a piece of it. 
He had to reveal the truth to destroy lies to win us to trust. But just revealing truth to destroy lies to win us to trust does not actually overcome the corruption of sin in the species human. And thus Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin, and he did that to be tempted in every way just like we are, so that uh, through his righteous choices, living a righteous life, he developed a perfect sinless human character, destroying at the cross, Gethsemane and the cross, where he's tempted to act in self-interest, Father, if possible, let this cup from, pass from me. He's having human emotions, tempting him to not die. That's that survival drive that he was able to be tempted by. But he didn't give in to that. No one can take my life. I give it freely. And as a human being, he loved perfectly, living out God's righteous law, thus establishing a new humanity, becoming the second Adam, the second head of humanity that we can be grafted into through faith. And so he did both. He revealed truth, but he also overcame the carnal drives, destroying them and restoring righteousness within the species human. Let's see. If you were to paraphrase another book in the Bible that you have not already done, which would you pick and why? <laughs> I've thought about actually several. And uh, it, the one I would ultimately, why I would ultimately pick one is because I would feel impressed by the Holy Spirit to do so. Uh, that's why. I've thought about Proverbs. I've thought about Micah. I've thought about Isaiah. Uh, I've thought about uh, Daniel. Uh, I've thought about several. Um, but I haven't actually been moved at this point uh, to do any of them. So we'll, we'll see. I'm challenged with how to present uh, the healing message with my immediate family through traditional family worships and common devotionals. I often find my view in opposition to the narrative of the content. My spouse has been steeped in the penal legal mindset since childhood and though tries to understand, often finds it frustrating and ends up getting emotional and confrontational. It doesn't make for a pleasant family worship. Often I am accused of hating the church. And so, um, you know, they're asking for some suggestions. I would ask, I would approach it rather than by, when you have somebody who is struggling like this, then ask questions that introduce cognitive dissonance. What's cognitive dissonance? Um, an idea that, 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 that they can't reconcile in their current worldview. Uh, you can ask questions related to how do you understand God's law functions. That's a great place. Do you understand God's laws like human law? Just a system of rules requiring inflicted punishment. And then if they say yes, then draw the narrative there. Then, then our problem is not being delivered from sin. Our problem is being del- protected from the one who will punish us. So do you believe sin kills or do you believe God kills you for sin? Those are actually two quite different things. The penal view, God kills you for sin. Our view is that sin is actually the, the, the death-causing principle. It alienates us and separates us from the source of life requiring the source of life to eliminate that principle and restore love and trust within the heart so we're reconciled to God. So I would have these types of conversations, ask them about the picture of God, what kind of picture... And some people, let's just just say it, small children, and that means small Christian children, the, the newborn babes in Christ, often, when you're small, want the most powerful daddy who will keep you safe in the threatening neighborhood. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy's stronger. Well, my daddy has more guns than you, than your daddy. Okay? And this is how children think, isn't it? But it makes them feel safe. And some, some newborn babes really need a strong, powerful God. And you see that in Egypt when God says in Deuteronomy about the ten plagues that he did, I did this so that you might know that I am God. Because they had all these different gods of Egypt. And he was showing how they're all 
and powerless as he was just, uh, basically hitting every one of the or the major players of the poly see um, the the pantheon of the of the uh, Egyptian gods were all the plagues attacking every one of them, including ultimately what they considered to be the most powerful. Uh, the, the, the god of death in the last one, the one who controlled the gates to the underworld. And that was where God put the firstborn to death, who were in the Egyptian culture, the priests of that god, and controlled the gates of the underworld. Okay? So it was all an exposure of all this stuff you were. It's nothing. I'm the, so I did this because you're childish, and you need to have confidence that I'm more powerful. And that's where he started with him. And so sometimes people need this. Could you please explain why Paul seems to keep the Jewish laws, example, Acts 21-26. Now, the Acts 21-26 is where he went back to Jerusalem and he was under pressure and uh, to try to reconcile with some of the Jewish leadership, and he does this uh, Jewish ritual of purification, and uh, why did Paul do it? Uh, if you read Ellen White's writings, uh, she says it was a mistake. He was wrong to do it. And if you look at the outcome, uh, the evidence of the outcome is he was wrong to do it. It went contrary to everything he'd been teaching, and he did it, though, because of a, and you can see his, his great dilemma, uh, he had such passion and desire to reach the Jews. Uh, I would give my life that my fellow Jews might be saved. And ultimately he did. This, this action resulted in the whole cascade of events that got him arrested, sent to Rome, and ultimately beheaded. And because this was not in keeping with the gospel that he was teaching. These rituals were meaningless. They had no benefit. But why did he do it? Because the minds of the people he was trying to reach thought they had benefit. And he was doing it to try to get past their prejudices and biases so they would listen to him. He loved them that much. But he crossed the line and added confusion and didn't result in them listening and finding righteousness. So um, it was a mistake. That's my view of that. My question is regarding Ellen White. Uh, when I read some of her stuff, it definitely comes across as legal, penal, legal view, and sometimes downright terrifying, not to mention occasionally contradictory to the gospel. It comes across what this person says. I see a lot of Adventists have to twist her words to explain and excuse some of it. But again, most people will read her writings as is and either take the penal legal view or take the false prophet view. All the Adventists I know that believe she is a true prophet uphold her writings. Okay, so any problem you have in Ellen White, triple, quadruple it, multiply it by 10 with the Bible. If, if You should go to the Bible first. What would happen if you found in Ella White's writings that we should take tithe and buy, buy fermented wine and come and celebrate before the Lord? That's in Deuteronomy. What would you say if we found in Ella White's writings that a child who is uh, disrespectful of their parents should be stoned after, after Sabbath school? That's in Deuteronomy. Okay? Any problem you have with Ellen White you will find multiple times more in Scripture. And so this whole uh, attack on Ellen White is fraudulent. Uh, will you find penal legal writings in Scripture? Will you find God thundering and threatening in Scripture? Will you find things that sound like... Uh, in fact, do you find God actually gave them law at Sinai? Why did he do it? Because his government runs that way? Do parents give their kids rules when they're small not to play in the street or to brush their teeth or to do whatever it is? Do they give them rules? Because the parents uh, want to create a judicial process and a legal environment in relation with the kids uh, or because the kids are too immature to understand how reality works and they need rules to protect them. 
And so any problem you have with Ellen White, you have the same problems in Scripture. And so what you've described here are people who don't think. You've described people who read something she wrote, and they don't actually uh, compare Scripture with Scripture, all 66 books harmonizing. And if you read Ellen White, you have to read her widely and harmonize it all that this text or passage needs to harmonize with this passage where she seems to say exactly the opposite. And what happens is, the people who do what you've described, the penal legal stuff, it's here a little, there a little, let's take this passage, that passage, let's apply uh, our our definition of wrath or anger, let's not let the Bible-inspired record uh, uh, define what the terms are, and then they come up and we'll we'll make it fit our preconceived conception, and and the bottom root issue is how do they understand law? It always comes back to how they understand law. If they understand imposed law, this is how they'll interpret it. So... I don't really have a problem with Helen White, as you know. I think, um, oh, let me ask you this. This is another question. If somebody speaks with authority, what is the basis of their authority? For instance, Ellen White, does she speak with authority? Because, as this person wrote, some recognize her as a true prophet. Therefore, she's a true prophet. Her writings have authority because of the office of true prophet. We tested, we went through all the Bible tests, check, 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 yep, true prophet, boom. Therefore, what she writes is authoritative. Was Peter a prophet and an apostle? Peter. Therefore, what he says and teaches has authority. We should listen because of position and authority. That's papal. This idea is papal. Because when Peter came along and started pulling back and wouldn't associate with certain uncircumcised fellows, Paul had to confront him publicly and correct him. He was wrong. Does that mean because he was wrong on that theological issue, he's no longer inspired? He's a false prophet. See, this for children boggles their mind. They don't want to think. They don't want to reason. They want a voice of authority. They want an umpire. They want a referee. They want a judge. They want somebody to tell them the answer. Teacher, who's right? Tell me the answer. Well, I'm trying to teach you how to figure out math. I don't want to know how to do math. Just tell me the right answer. And that's what you have with a lot of people with all much writings. They don't want to think. They don't want to understand that she. I've invested her with prophecy gifts. Therefore, if she said it, I can't question it. Or take Ellen White out of the picture. Many Christians. The Bible said it. I believe it. That's all there is to it. I don't think. I just find a text that says it. That's not what God wants. Our class, come let us reason together. Come and reason ministries. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white like wool, white like snow. It is reasoning, comprehending, understanding, agreeing that transforms the person. Not simply believing a claim and following it because of voice of authority. So what gives a person authority is not position of office. Authority is in the truth itself. To the degree any person speaks truth, the truth is authoritative. That's where authority comes from. It comes from the truth. So what lessons can you draw from the differences in response to radiating faces in the Bible? Moses equals... Uh, yeah, so I, I described that actually in my discussions on um, on uh, uh, hell and the eternal burning. Moses coming down off the face and his face is ra- a mountain and his face is radiating. And how do the children of Israel respond to that? They fall away. It causes them agony and pain. 
Uh, Moses does not have third-degree burns. His whiskers don't burn off. This is not combustion. This is a light of heavenly truth and love that those who are still steeped in lies, selfishness, and sin causes conviction, and they become aware, and their guilt and shame rises because they are unrepentant, and they don't want to be in the presence of the heavenly light. Those who are in darkness don't want to come into the light lest their evil deeds are exposed, and so they shrank back and begged for Moses to cover his face. Uh, and so there's a powerful object lesson. Same thing when Jesus comes. They're destroyed by the brightness of his coming. This is not combustion. And they beg for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne. This is the reality of what sin does. It corrupts the character, hardens the heart, alienates people from truth, and they don't want to come into the light. And so I think there's very powerful object lessons there. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for what you have uh, reveal to us the truths you've given us. Give us hearts of love to share this message. Open up more avenues that this message can go forward. We see the events transform, transpiring all over the world, and, and we just want to be in the place and time with the message that you have for us to share with others. We pray in your holy name. Amen.